This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to Dave Eubank, the head of the Free Burma Rangers. Now, the Free Burma Rangers is an international volunteer aid organisation. They're not attached to any governments or any NGOs like that. They're kind of a religious organization that go anywhere in the world where there is frontline fighting and people need their medical help. Some of them also are armed because of course, if you're on the front line trying to help people, sometimes you have to shoot back. Uh, like I said, Dave is you know, quite a religious guy. Um, personally, I don't care about religion, but just be aware that is something that's discussed in the episode. You know, if you don't like things like that, well, tough luck. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash popular front. Can you explain what is the Free Burma Rangers exactly? The Free Burma Rangers is a humanitarian relief organization working primarily in Burma since 1997. And our job is to give help, that's humanitarian help, hope. Remind people they're not forgotten. God hasn't forgotten them. And love. When you have nothing else, you can love people. And also to get the, the news out, tell the story. In addition to Burma, the last five years, we've been also working in Sudan. And because of the attacks of ISIS, we've been also working in Syria, Iraq, and Kurdistan. We are a not a religious organization. We have people who are Buddhist, uh, Muslim, Christians, agnostics, atheists, spirit worshipers, Yazidi, all kinds. I myself am someone who tries to follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. But we, we have only three rules to be an FBR, regardless of your sex or religion and that, or ethnicity. And that is, you can't run if people can't run. You have to stand with them. And second, you have to do it for love. We don't pay the teams. And then third, you have to be literate in at least one language so you can do good medicine and good reporting. Right. And you started it. Is that correct? Well, myself and a medic from Kren State Burma named Ilya and my wife, we started it not really knowing we're starting anything, just responding to a major offensive by the Burma Army in 1997 that displaced hundreds of thousands of people. And... We just put together uh, some medicine and went to the front lines, met our medic Ilya there, who was with people who were fleeing. He joined us. Then more people started to join us. And pretty soon we had a de facto team working in the conflict areas. And that was in 1997. And by 2001, the ethnic resistance leaders said, can you make more teams like this? So we started a training program to train relief teams all across Burma. In Burma, it's quite hard to operate, right? Like the government is quite strict. How do you manage to do it? Well, Burma's the longest-running civil war in the world, 70 years. The Burma government controls about 80% of the country. But up in the mountains, around, especially around the borders, they do not exert full control. The ethnic resistance groups, the Kachin, the Shan, the Ta'ang, the Kareni, the Karen, Arakan, others, control a lot of the mountains. So we go on foot amongst these people. And so when the Burma army attacks, we just walk to the next mountain and try to avoid them. But yes, if we get caught with the Burma army, you're going to be killed or imprisoned. So you guys are taking a big risk. Well, we're taking a risk and because we think it's worth it to help people. Also, the ethnic people know their homes. They know their terrain. 
and they're pretty good at avoiding the Burma army. Right. And what kind of um, training do you provide to people that want to join the uh, Free Burma Rangers? We give medical training, and that's minor, minor surgery, uh, first aid, and we give dental training, some basic dental training, extractions. We give um, swimming training and rappelling and mountaineering, reporting, interviewing, land navigation, map reading, map making, map and compass, GPS use, photography, videography, um, counseling, mule packing, because a lot of the areas we're in, there's no roads that we can use. We have to use trails. We have to carry our supplies. And mostly training based on how do you move in the jungle, not get killed and help other people. Right. And I imagine the Burmese uh, government absolutely hates you guys. <laughs> it's... It seems like some of them do. We've lost 24 of our rangers, and I've been shot at by them. I do have a couple friends in the Burma government, but there's just a couple. Most of the government doesn't want us there, just as they want to completely dominate the ethnic people. Right, and how does someone join the Free Burma Rangers? Because I've heard of people from all over the world going out there to, to be trained by you guys. Well, the rangers are all from Burma. So the way they join us is they talk with their own ethnic organizations. For example, if they're in the Shan State Army, they go through the Shan. If they're in the Kachin Independence Organization, they go through the Kachin. And then those different ethnic leaders contact us and they send us teams that they put together from their own areas for us to train. And foreign staff generally don't come as field rangers. They come as foreign staff to support the people in the field. The exception to that is in, in the Middle East, we have some volunteers that are on missions with us there. Well, and also in Burma, some of our uh, staff goes on missions in Burma with the teams as well. But the, the bulk of FBR is made up of local indigenous teams. Just to be clear, you guys don't deal with any weapons or arms or anything like that? Well, we don't arm our teams and we're not there to fight the Burma army or anyone for that matter. Our job is to help people. However, we're not pacifists and we have a rule. You can't run if people can't run. And so you can't attack people. But if at that point when people can't run and you're with them, if you have a weapon or find a weapon, you can use it. That's between you and God. Self-defense. Yes. Cool. And Dave, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background because it's quite an incredible thing. You know, the Free Burma Rangers is, is huge. It's certainly in my circles anyway, everybody's heard of it. You know, how did you start all this? Well, um... For me, I have no way to really say it except I believe God was in it, which doesn't make us right or perfect. But I think that God is love and cares about people and gives us all free choice to act in love or not. So I, was, uh, I grew up in Thailand as a child of missionaries. My mother and father are still there. They're wonderful people. And they've been there 58 years. And when I graduated from high school, I got an army scholarship. And I went to Texas A&M University. After that, I was commissioned as an infantry officer. And I w was down in Panama as an infantry officer and a reconnaissance platoon leader. And then I went to selection for the Rangers, and I was in 2nd Ranger Battalion. After that, I went to Special Forces. I was in 1st Special Forces Group. All that was about 10 years of good preparation for what came next, which is I decided to leave the Army. I went to seminary in California and 
was ordained, got out, and right in the middle of seminary, I was invited by a tribe in Burma called the Wa, please come and help us. And so I, my wife and I, we were married on the beach in Malibu, and in 1993, before I'd actually graduated seminary, we went to Wa State Burma and started helping. So by the time I graduated, I'd been to Burma three times. In 1996, I graduated and went to, to, to start our work in Burma. I met Aung San Suu Kyi in 1997, and she asked for prayer. So we started the Day of Prayer for Burma, and she also asked for help with unity. So we started working for, with ethnic groups for unity in Burma. And in the middle of all that, there was a lot of fighting. And we thought, we got to help, and we'll help one person, and they'll be glad. And we'll be glad. We have no bigger plan, but we'll do something. And as we began to help people in the fighting areas, the local organization saw that and sent people to tra be trained and help in holistic ways. Because we help in medicine, we help in relief, we help in reconnaissance, we help with information in different ways. And that's, that's how it's been going. Right. Um, and can you explain a little bit about the conflict for me? You know, what is going on there? Why are they fighting? Who is fighting who? Well, Burma was a, the, an ancient kingdom of Burmans who are the majority group. But before the Burmans controlled Burma, there were other ethnic groups there, the Karen, the Shan, the Mon, and they lived in the mountains or the uh, different parts of the plains. The Burma, Burman people came in later, and they came in large numbers, and they became the dominant force. And the Burmese kings controlled most of Burma, but they never controlled all of it until they ran into the British Empire that controlled India. And in three wars against the British, the Burmans lost, and Burma became a colony of England, which the ethnic people liked a lot because it kept the Burmans from attacking the ethnic people. But the Burmans, of course, didn't like it as much. And so when World War II broke out, the Burman majority joined the Japanese to kick the British out, and the ethnics sided with the British to fight the Japanese and the Burmans. When the World War II was over and the Japanese lost, England granted independence to Burma. And as soon as Burma got independence, the Burman majority turned on the ethnic groups and said, hey, you back the, you know, you back the other side. We're going to make you pay and you're going to be under us. So from 1949 to present, there's been civil war in Burma as the Burma army attacks its own people. And the dictators in Burma not only have attacked the ethnic peoples, they've attacked their own people. And that leads us up to about 1990 when a lady named Aung San Suu Kyi, who was a daughter of one of the first leaders of Burma, came back to help lead the democracy movement, and a few years ago was released from house arrest and became part of the government of Burma, which gave people hope there would be positive change. However, the government of Burma appears to be still a military dictatorship with civilian clothes. And so the conflict goes on in Burma. Right now, if you look at it, over one million have been internally displaced, the Burma army continues their fighting against the Kachin and the Shan and the Ta'ang in the north. They are breaking the ceasefire in the eastern part of Burma, in Karen and Karini states. In western Burma, there's fighting flaring up now between the Arakan and the Burman army, as the Arakan have 16,000 displaced recently. And then the biggest displacement, which has made international headlines, has been the last three years driving, where the Burma army has driven 750,000 Muslim Rohingya people from Burma to Bangladesh, adding to the over 300,000 already there. That's a million internally displaced um, of, the, uh, of the Rohingya alone. So 
Central Burma is peaceful and you can do business and you can be a tourist and have a good time. You won't hear a shot fired. But the periphery is at war. Right. And how successful are the militant groups that are fighting the, uh, the government there? Well, they've been successful enough not to be completely destroyed, but they're much weaker, much weaker than the government. And none of them have big outside support. You spoke about the situation there with the, uh, you know, the Rohingya. Um, were the Free Burma Rangers there to help? I know it was obviously a really difficult situation. Well, it's, it's our weakest area of help. But yes, we have been working with Rohingya for the last two years and supported a very small Rohingya team to go back and help their own people in Arakan State, Burma. And so we have an ongoing mission to help the Rohingya as well as Arakan, which are also being attacked in Arakan State, the same state. But our efforts there are quite small. Right. And what was that? I mean, I know there's a lot of, um, you know, various different information coming here, there and everywhere. But it seemed to me as if that was just, you know, Myanmar or, or the Burmese army, whatever you want to call it, just chasing everybody out just because they're, they're Muslims, right? Or was it something else? Well, I think that's the main reason. I think that there's great prejudice against Muslims in Burma. And also the Muslim population is growing at a much higher rate than the Buddhist population, and that, that's perceived as a threat by the majority um, Buddhist government. And they are concerned that there'll be some kind of Muslim insurgency. They're, they're concerned that Muslims will take over more and more land, and they want them out. The horrible situation there. Um, and can you tell us a bit about the, uh, the Free Burma Rangers outside of Burma, right? You've got a lot going on in the Middle East, as you mentioned earlier. Maybe you can expand on what you're doing there a little bit for us. Well, since February 2015, we've been involved in Kurdistan and Iraq, uh, help, helping the, the Peshmerga, that's the Kurdish military, as well as the Iraqi army as they fought against ISIS and helping civilians as they've broken free from ISIS, providing we provide medical care, food, clothing, shelter. And in between all that, we also have been going to Syria. And in, in Kurdistan, we were with the Kurds until they liberated their area completely from ISIS. And that occurred in 2016, the end of October. At that point, actually, excuse me, the middle of November 2016, ISIS was driven out of Kurdistan. At that point, we were invited to help the Iraqis, which we did in the Battle of Mosul, on and off from mid-October until the end of the Battle of Mosul, uh, July. We actually left in the end of June. But we were with the Iraqis in the Battle of Mosul, helping the Iraqi soldiers, giving them medical care, moving on the attack with them to help civilians that were liberated. And then in between that, we did a few missions to Syria. But most recently, we were in Syria at the very end of the physical part of the caliphate, February and March this year, 2019, in Bagus, where we worked in partnership. We, uh, the Kurdish regional government gave us access from Kurdistan, which we we're very grateful for. And then we worked in partnership with the uh, Syrian Democratic Forces, joint Kurdish, Arab, Christian, Yazidi force that was fighting ISIS. We worked with them to provide medical care for the SDF soldiers who were wounded and Bagus, outside of Bagus, as well as giving food and medical treatment to ISIS civilians. That's women and children who were fleeing this last stronghold of ISIS. And the SDF have completely defeated ISIS in that stronghold. ISIS has lost any physical control over Syria. However, 
there are still ISIS cells all over northeast Syria. And almost once a week, there's an ambush or an IED or some kind of attack by ISIS. So while the physical caliphate has fallen and we were there as part of that, ISIS is not completely defeated in Syria. No, absolutely not. Territorially, sure. But like you said, there's guerrilla cells everywhere. Um, Dave, how, does, how do you fund all this? Because this sounds like a massive operation. How do you get money to do this? Because, you know, I know for one, even just traveling in the Middle East is expensive. You're right. Well, yeah, I, I pray and I, I say this prayer. Lord Jesus, if you want us here, please give us money. Please give us people who want to support this. And we don't solicit funds. We don't ask for funds. But if someone says, do you need money? Do you need money for this or that? We say, yes, we'll take it. And our funding comes mostly from individuals all over the world, mostly the U.S. and, and Europe, but also from churches, uh, mostly in the U.S., but also in Europe, as well as other parts of the world. So it's individuals, individuals and churches that fund it. Wow. Um, and how do you get into these places, you know? How do you just turn up in Kurdistan and go, hey, we're, we're coming to help? But aren't these people like, hang on, who are you? Yes, they want to know who you are. But I've been very um, surprised and humbled, and I'm very grateful for the open arms which, with which the Kurds received us in Kurdistan when we first came. And... I was talking to one of the Kurdish leaders today and I said, you know, we're so small. He said, Dave, all of us are small. We're like a grain of rice. And one grain of rice by itself isn't much. But if you get a bunch together, you have a big pot and you can cook a lot and eat a lot. And the same in the world. The more of us that can do things together, the more great things we can do. And so they welcomed us. And when, and when we were in the Battle of Mosul, the Iraqi general said, you, who sent you to help me? I said, God sent us. And he goes, huh. He said, I've been praying to God to save my country from ISIS. And look what God sent me. The worst two things, an American Christian. <laughs> and we became, though, we, he's a Muslim general, uh, Iraqi. And we became very close friends. So I remember at the very end of the Battle of Mosul, he said, go back and tell America, we love your people. Please love us. Thank you for showing us what it means to follow Jesus. And so I, I have great love and respect for him. I have many Iraqi friends, Muslim friends, and they've just been very warm and open. And so we've, we've come with whatever we have. And, you know, I remember meeting people in the front lines and I said, I've got six vehicles, three armored and an ambulance. My family's here. I've got four medics. I've got this much money. It's all yours. How do you want to use it? And I think people respond to that. If you're sincere, if you have some expertise, if you want to give everything, you're committed to stay. You're not asking them if it's safe or not. Um, you're saying we're here to help you. How do you want help? That's uh, that's something I've seen actually in footage. I've seen uh, free bomb arranged, and there was a guy actually like f having to engage with ISIS, you know, with a firearm, fighting and saving a child and the father, you know. And it's this incredible footage, and it really struck me like you guys, you're not bothered about that, right? You're very happy to be in the thick of it, if you know what I mean. Not not like you're chasing the war, but it's like you do what you do, and that's it. Yeah, we're happy to be in the thick of it. That's a very accurate expression. But then as soon as it's the thick of it, we're scared. <laughs> and you're like, man, that's pretty thick. And, and when that, that time 
where we were behind this tank and some of my team are shooting at ISIS to cover fire for me to go rescue this kid. I was very scared because I knew now I'm running into the open and there's a lot of dead people here for a reason. I'm going to be dead next. And this is, this is very foolish. But I thought, there's that kid. Who's going to save this kid? That could be my kid. She's hiding under her dead mother for three days. There were many other kids there wandering around. They'd been shot dead, but she didn't move. That's why she's still alive. ISIS couldn't see her under a dead mother. And I thought, you know, if that was my kids in the open getting shot, I'd want someone to help them, even if they thought they'd die. I'd say, please help. And I remember I just said, you know, I know that if I die trying to save this kid, as tragic as it will be for my family, my wife and kids will understand. This was not for adventure. This was not bravado. You know, by then I was terrified. There was no more pride left. Um, this is because of love. And I just said, Jesus, help me. And I ran. And they shot, and the Iraqi shot, and the Americans dropped smoke, and we got the girl. So, and I say we, because it was a big team effort to do that. So we, we don't want to be led by comfort. We don't want to be led by pride. We don't want to be led by fear. But we want to be led by love. So that's what we do. And yeah, we like the action. I, I, I try to keep it this way. I want to be led by God first. That's spiritual. And then I believe oppression is wrong. That's intellectual. I love these people. And that's emotional. And then physically, I like action. I like things that go boom. I like going to the sound of the guns. I like physical things. But I want to keep it in this order. God first, the spirit first, the emotions and the brain together, and the physical last. And I don't always do it that way. I mess it up a lot, but I want it to be that way. Mm, that's very honest of you. <laughs> yeah, well. No, it's good. It's refreshing to hear. I mean, you know, I've been covering war for however many years. And to be honest, most people lie about <laughs> their motivations, you know. Yeah, well, we love adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and can you tell me a bit about Bagoos? I was talking to Miles and he was telling me some terrible story where these young girl was kind of trying to save her mother and stuff like this. What have you seen out there? Well, Bagoose was like Dante's Inferno. You know, it's a, it was a little bend in the bend of the Euphrates River with Syria uh, controlled by Assad on the western side, Syria controlled by the what left of ISIS in a small little pocket. And it was where ISIS had fled after a series of defeats. And so there was 60,000, I think, at one point of people jammed into a place that was usually probably used to be 3,000 and, and, and brought in their trucks and tents. And so you have trucks with tents in them and then tents next to them. They just jammed together. And then underneath there's trenches and no sanitation. Meanwhile, the coalition air was bombing any military targets they could see. And the SDF was steadily advancing and ISIS was sending out suicide bombers. And then when families tried to flee, ISIS would shoot their own family members who tried to flee. And so we had, while we were there, by the time we got there in the 1st of February, 30,000 had already fled. But from the time we got there in February till mid-March, 30 more thousand fled. And of those 30,000, there was 4,000 shot that we treated. And there was girls with no legs. Uh, I remember was, there was a family where the mom had her, in an airstrike, had her arm and her leg blown off. The aunt had her arm blown off. There was a little girl with her one eye ripped and her eyelids ripped open so she couldn't close her eyes. She had a compound fracture in her leg, all bent unnaturally. Every kid was hit with fragments and mostly they were infected. 
We had a little kid we were treating. With his, you could see his brain. We had a little girl come with her shot by her by ISIS. Her intestines were already out of her stomach, and she died. We couldn't save her. We had all kinds of horrible injuries, many of them inflicted by ISIS as people tried to flee. Wow, that's so uh, heavy. Yeah, it made me sad. And it makes you angry at ISIS, and it makes you sad for these kids. Absolutely. Um and what uh what's what's going on right now with the free Burma Rangers? You know, what are the plans in the future? You're gonna to head to other conflicts or is your work still in Syria? Well, our main effort is, is Burma. We've got, depending on the year, we've got eighty to ninety teams. These are small five person teams, uh, working constantly in Burma. That's our main thing. That's where we do our training and and where our biggest efforts are. And then we have a team in Iraq. It's a joint Kurdish Iraqi team working in Iraq and Syria and, and Kurdistan. And we have a very small team in Syria. And so what we do is we take some of our, our more experienced team members from Burma and medics, and we bring them over, let's say 10 to 20 of us, and we join our Iraqi team and we work here. Or in this case, we'll be going back to Syria soon and we'll go with 20 to 30 people and a few vehicles to provide immediate medical care wherever needed. We're not sure what this next mission will look like. We're going to go to the SDF and say, we're here to help you again. Uh, we can help at any remaining frontline areas. There's hardly any of that left. It's just a lot of little ambushes. We also, when there's peace and there's not shooting, we have other kinds of programs. We do programs for kids. My wife leads a program for health, hygiene, um, emotional and spiritual health for women and children. We do that. We build playgrounds. We put in six playgrounds in, in Syria, eight playgrounds in Iraq. And all the places that ISIS used to control, like Mosul or Faisalia or Raqqa, the capital of ISIS, we put a playground there. We put two in Topka, we put one in Deir Zor, one in Kobani. And so we'll, we'll do that um, in between going back and forth to Burma. We're not doing it alone. I mean, it's, it's our teams. It's people who pray for us. It's people who send money to support us. It's the local governments and organizations. You know, here it's like the regional government of Kurdistan. And in Iraq, it's the Iraqi government that helps us and gives us access and permission to do this work in the middle of the Battle of Mosul. The Iraqi army gave us trucks to move food in. They gave us Humvees to use. In Syria, it's the Syrian Democratic Forces that um, have been very helpful to us to enable us to move around. And also, they really demonstrated their own mercy to ISIS. These are ISIS that had slaughtered them without mercy. And now, that the SDF had captured ISIS, they were treating them humanely. And so we, we're doing this, you know, really in the hands of other people and on their shoulders. But I'm very grateful we can have a partner. Right, and I'm sure it's difficult to estimate or maybe you don't want to say, but can you give us an idea roughly of how many people comprise, you know, the Free Burma Rangers? How many people are working with you guys? And I don't mean like on the, you know, like locals. I mean actually part of the Free Burma Rangers or what have you. Well, in Burma... It fluctuates between 350 to 400 rangers in 80 to 90 different teams. And we have a staff of about 40 foreign volunteers. And then in Iraq, we've got a two families comprise the team. So that's eight people. And then in Syria, one family comprises the team. That's three people. And then we just augment those with a larger group from Burma. So we're quite small. Um, but I was going to ask, where can people get in touch with Free Burma Rangers? Is there any way you want to direct people to, you know, website, anything like that? Sure. Well, before I say that, uh, you and your family are always welcome to our home in 
you've got six horses, a monkey, muddy ponds. Would love to see you. Don't bring any money. We'll take care of you. And if you want to run around Burma or somewhere, you're welcome. And in terms of getting in touch with us, our website is www.freeburmarangers.org. And you can find out more there. If you want to support financially, there's a information how to do that. And thanks again, Jay, for this opportunity. Hey, thanks for everything you're doing, man. Definitely. Thanks very much. All right, God bless. Cheers, mate. And you. Bye-bye. That was Dave Eubank speaking about the aid work he does with the Free Burma Rangers, helping people medically all over the world at various different front lines. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us. This whole thing is grassroots from the ground up. Uh, if you want to support, go to patreon.com slash popularfront or go to popularfront.co slash support. There are various different ways. I know a lot of people prefer to support using Bitcoin. There is that option. Go to popularfront.co slash support. Also, uh, consider subscribing to our YouTube. We're having a lot of problems right now. YouTube, for no reason whatsoever, has decided to demonetize the whole channel before I even applied for it. So before I even said, yeah, I want to try and make money off the documentaries we make at Popular Front, they have already disabled monetization. I can't have any money made from the documentaries I make, which I put a lot of hard work into. Um, they didn't really give me any reason why. You know, they said, oh, there's violent content. I said, yeah, well, you know, Sky News, BBC News, Vice News, all of those people make uh, money on YouTube and they have much more violent content, you know, because they do a lot more uh, conflict reporting because they have all the money and they won't reply. They won't even get back to me. They've ignored me the whole time. So there you go. Uh, censorship via YouTube. Basically, if you're not a big company, you can get fucked when it comes to, uh, you know, YouTube's uh, so-called freedom of speech policy. So, yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube. You know, I mean, <laughs> we can't make money on there, but, you know, it's the, it's the best way for me to get the... the film content we do and get it out there so subscribe there watch our documentary share it whatever this episode was sponsored by the defensepost.com check them out for daily updates and reportage on the world in conflict if you want to follow popular front on twitter follow me that's jake underscore hanrahan h-a-n-r-a-h-a-n or you can follow the popular front twitter that's popular front c-o on Instagram, it's instagram.com slash popular.front. We had some problems on the Instagram as well. We got like mass reported because some people didn't like me. Um, some Nazis tried to hack into it. it was a fucking nightmare. But we're up again on the uh, Instagram. So yeah, uh, at popular.front on Instagram. Thank you very much to the following people from the Patreon. Without you, none of this would be possible. It would just fall on its ass. Uh, they are Adam Berg Snyder, Andrew Fife, Axel Iverson, Brian McLaughlin. Chad Walker, Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Darby, Diana Gorvanek, Elizabeth Benicki, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, Jack Mayhoff, James from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Kyle N. Payne, Lawrence Abrahams, LH, Margaret Bowling, Michael Euler, Ari from the Discord, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from What Bitcoin Did, Q-Ball, Russia Alakidi, Brian Sandercock, Skartoon Music, Scott Jonesy, Sebastian from the Discord, Sarushe Hawazi, Teddy, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, Vida Provost and Zachary Hinch. Thank you very much. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home and the outro was by Son of Old. 
follow him on SoundCloud. Uh, it's soundcloud.com slash sun dash of dash old.